Matthew 5, verse 44. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Let me tell you why I want us to study this passage this morning. It's not so long since we uh, were reading and, and uh, we preached from this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And what we need to give a reason for coming back to it so soon. Uh, one is that there are some sections of the Sermon on the Mount where our adoption, where our relationship to our Father in heaven is uh, particularly related to our conduct. And I want us to reflect on that before uh, we've left the uh, teaching on adoption too far behind us. Secondly, this is the global day of prayer for Burma. And it's hard to pray for the situation in Burma without also reflecting on the teaching that we have here uh, on, in the Sermon on the Mount. One of the most powerful pictures that I retain from my visits to the refugee camp uh, on the Burmese border is the situation when we were teaching about the goodness of God and came to this passage which tells us that our love has got to be reflecting God's love, which is an indiscriminate love to all people. And when we had turned and read uh, these verses, uh, which tell us to love our, en our enemies, there was a, a girl in the class who had been very quiet, who said very little. And at this point, she said with great poignancy, how can I love the Burmese soldiers who killed my mother and father? And I was lost for words. What can you say uh, to someone in that kind of situation? So the question of love for enemies and forgiveness is very real for the Karen people. As they see the political situation apparently improving. And it's not just a case for them of having to think of how they would forgive the uh, majority Burmans. But also how they are to forgive their own Karen people, because there have been splits within the ethnic minorities. There is a group uh, of Karen uh, who fight under the label of the Democratic Karen Buddhist Army. Uh, they are Buddhists rather jealous of the prominence of Christians in the uh, governance of the Karen people who have sided with the junta and have been killing their own people. And so there is the question of reconciliation within the uh, Karen nation. Sometimes we speak very glibly, don't we, about loving everyone, forgiving everyone. And when we're glib like that, we fail to think through the complexities of real life situations. And part of our failure is that we don't really have a full understanding of the biblical teaching on the love of God. We think we understand God's love, we take it as read, but often we don't really understand the love of God. And it's that I want particularly uh, for us to exercise our minds on this morning, the love of God, as we are to reflect it. First of all, what is it that is asked of us? If we are followers of Jesus Christ, what is being asked of us here? First of all, Jesus says, in effect, that we are to show the family likeness. 
that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. If you love your enemies, you will be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, he's not saying that loving in this way makes us sons. He's not saying that by doing loving deeds, we ourselves become children of the living God. It's the other way around. If we're sons, then this is how we behave. The term uh, son of was used in a, a common parlance to, to say essentially like father, like son. If somebody showed a particular attribute, if they were, uh, for example, uh, very encouraging as a person, then they would be called, as, as uh, someone in the New Testament was, son of encouragement, Barnabas. He was such an encouraging person, they said, that his father must be encouragement itself. Son of encouragement. And if we are born again of the Spirit of God and come into the family of God and we know God as our Father, then we will show the family likeness, Jesus is saying, by having this kind of love. Calvin says this, Christ testifies that this will be the mark of our adoption if we are kind to the bad and the unworthy. Do not think that we are made sons by our kind deeds. But Christ gives proof from the effect of those deeds that the sons of God are precisely those who approach him in their humility and tenderness. A Christian then is someone who has been brought into God's family, uh, who knows God as a father. And the calling, the expectation on us is that we will show ourselves uh, to be sons of God by loving others, even our enemies. So Jesus says that Christian love, Christ, love that reflects the love of Father, is love towards uh, all kinds of people. It's not just love to those who are in our family circles. It's not just love to those who, as it were, are of the same tribe as we are, who are from the same background, who have the same likes and dislikes. Uh, it's towards people who are different from us, people who may think little of us, and ultimately people who may be our enemies and who continue to act badly towards us, who even persecute us. Uh, Luke's gospel will sometimes give uh, summaries of Jesus' teaching. There's a summary of his teaching here where, uh, although it is more, it's a shorter uh, version, there is some more detail in it at this point. Uh, Luke 6, verse 27 uh, Luke gives us the words that Christ has spoken and says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So there are three things that Jesus says essentially that we're to do towards those who are bad towards us. He says, first of all, we are to do good to them. To do good to them. God shows his love to all people by doing good to all people. He causes his sun to shine on the evil as well as the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He does good. And we are to show practical kindness to people. Our love has to take physical form. Has to be tangible. Has to be expressed. It's the first thing. Second, Jesus says here that we are to speak well of them. Bless those who persecute you. That means essentially speaking well of those people. Uh, when they ba bad mouth us, either to our face or behind our back, we're not to respond in kind, 
uh, we're to try to say whatever good we can about them. And thirdly, Jesus says we're to pray for them. Pray for them. There's no surer way of changing our heart towards those that we, uh, that we hate and who hate us than to get down on our knees and to pray for them by name, to pray through the situation. Asking God to forgive them, asking God to grant peace with them. And Jesus says that we're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We're to love all people and he says that will mean that we will be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Now perfect there is used in the sense of completeness rather than being partial. So if you love only your friends, you're being partial. But if you love all people, then you are complete. You will have a perfection that God shows in his love to people. Now, it's at this point that having spelled out what is asked of us by God, that we can feel the difficulties in this teaching. When the Burmese girl spoke up in class, I found it hard to respond to her without using words that seem glib, without feeling glib. What am I to say to a girl before whose eyes her parents were shot? Maybe even who was raped by the soldiers who shot her parents? What exactly is being asked of someone in that situation? Is she being asked to feel affection towards such people? Is that emotionally possible? Is it even right to ask for such a response? I say that because the question can be raised, doesn't God hate the wicked? And if God hates the wicked and we are to show the family likeness, then isn't it justifiable in certain circumstances to feel hatred and loathing towards certain people? Isn't this an appropriate response to them and then again if forgiving my enemies also means forgetting their offense if I'm to forget as well then how can I possibly do that when it's left a scar in my life so you do you begin to feel some of the difficulties that there are involved in in Jesus teaching how are to how are we to work them through in the real life meeting it head-on being practical about this There's a real problem uh, with people thinking that they've failed miserably in a basic Christian duty and who then become discouraged and disillusioned. And part of our difficulty is in understanding properly what God's love really is. Because we're to love as God loves. And therefore we really have to understand how does God love? What is the nature of God's love. And as I said at the beginning, everyone thinks they know how God is love. God is love. It's one of the things that the man in the street who never goes near a church will know, along with do not judge. You know, their favorite verses, people think they understand it, but very often they don't. And unless we look at these things within the context of the whole of Scripture, we can have a distorted picture. Think first of all, think first of all, of what the Bible says about the wrath of God, God's anger. Of course, many people don't even like to go there. People don't like to think that God could 
be angry that God does uh, display wrath and would want to simply airbrush out those passages that speak of God's wrath. Unfortunately, that would mean airbrushing out a great deal of the Bible because testimony to God having wrath is everywhere and not least in the New Testament. <clears throat> and it wouldn't do either to use the common modern uh, saying, uh, love the sinner but hate the sin. In other words, God's wrath is directed towards uh, you know, structures of injustice but not against people. You can't really say that because the Bible acknowledges that we are bound up with our sin. You can't separate the sinner from his sin in that way. It is the sinner, the person doing wickedness, who will come under God's judgment and who will experience God's wrath. It's a personal opposition. And the New Testament is as vocal, if not more, in regard to the wrath of God than the, New, than the Old Testament. Just one example, John 3.35 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now here's the difficulty. It's these very people on whom the wrath of God is resting or remaining, who are at the same time experiencing in their lives the love of God, the kindness of God. God is sending rain for the crops of wicked people and sunshine on them. And that's an act of kindness. It's a display of his love. And that's hard for us to understand. Because we think that if we're angry towards someone, then it will drive out our feelings of love towards them. But it seems to be that the Bible is saying that God somehow is showing his love and also his wrath to some people at the same time. And the reason is that God's love is different from his anger. Love is an essential part. We'll need to, we'll need to think hard at this point. Get our thinking caps on, as they say in school. Love is essential to what God is. That is why the Bible has this categoric statement. God is love. God is love. It's a truth about what he is. Before God created anything, he was love and he was showing love. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit lived in a communion of love. So God's love isn't, isn't created by anything outside himself. It simply wells up within God's perfections. It's who he is. He doesn't love because something is lovely. He loves because that is who he is. God is love. But anger, his anger isn't central to who God is. God's anger is only there in the presence of sin. It's a proper and an expected response of God's holiness to sin. Where there's wickedness at all, God is properly angry with those who show it. But where there's no sin, there's no anger. So you cannot say God is wrath or God is anger in the same way that one can say God is love. 
Now, if we follow that, I think we can see how it is that God can at the same time show his love towards those on whom his wrath rests. He is wrathful to them because of their sin, but he still shows his love towards them because he is the kind of, that's the kind of God he is. He shows love towards those who don't deserve it. We're going to unpack that love of God in just a moment. But at this point, I want us to, to pause for a moment. And I want to say to anyone in church this morning who's not a Christian or is uncertain about whether you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize from the teaching of the Bible here what a terrible situation that is to be in? God has shown you love. He's been good to you in so many ways. Uh, even today, you've come, uh, woke up this morning in a comfortable and warm home uh, with loving people under the same roof. Uh, God fed you. You maybe came to church in a nice car. You have a nice family, perhaps. So many gifts from God. God loves. Part of his love is even drawing you to the place where you will hear about Jesus. Drawing you to church. These are all gifts of the love of God. But until you do something about the message that Jesus died to pay the debt. To bear himself the wrath of God. You will remain under God's wrath. And if you carry on in that situation, then the day will come when you meet Jesus in judgment and at last you will be separated from all of the evidences of the love of God. That's what hell is. And so that's a terrible situation to be in, to be simultaneously under the love and the wrath of God. Because if you stay there without decisively committing your life to Jesus, one day it will only be the wrath that you know. So trust him. Trust him this morning. I implore you, if you are in that situation, trust Jesus decisively. The one who died to bear God's wrath that you might not bear it. Because everything else we say about forgiveness to others is really meaningless unless you're forgiven yourself. Trust Jesus. Once we've understood what uh, the Bible says about God showing love and yet still people being under his wrath, we go on to see how we can distinguish between two stages, two facets perhaps you could say in God's love. Actually there are more than two but for simplicity let's say that there are two. And the first aspect of God's love is the attitude of love that God has towards all people. He wants all to believe and to be saved. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their evil ways and live. That's Ezekiel 33.11. God's uh, attitude towards the world in all its darkness 
is shown in John 3.16, God so loved the world, we all know it, that he gave his only, one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When Paul is preaching in Lystra, he tells them that God does good things to them as a testimony, that God uh, is doing favors towards them in order to draw them to trust him. He has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He fills you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So God's love is shown in a readiness to forgive. But God is a special love towards his own people, to those that he has chosen. Uh, this is a love that is powerful. And overcomes every obstacle so that it effectively brings people to himself. And from God's side, seen from God's side, this love is unconditional because it doesn't require that we're good enough or attractive enough before God loves us. God loves sinners. It was while we were still sinners, rebels, enemies of God and so on, under the wrath of God. While we were there, Christ died for us. The effective love of God, the special love of God, the reconciling love of God. Unconditional from God's side, but it is conditional from our side. Because we'll only enter that love if we repent and believe the good news. Plenty of people think that God's love is absolutely unconditional to the extent that he's obliged to forgive. God will forgive me. That's his business. That's his job. But it's not the case. It's not the case. God forgives those who have repented and believed. Now, if we are to be like our Father in heaven, if our love reflects God's love, then our forgiveness will be modeled in his, and there will be a sense in which our forgiveness is conditional. See, just as God's uh, love desires reconciliation to himself, so human forgiveness has reconciliation in view. Uh, when we forgive in our own relationships, the, the end result that we want is that there will be a reconciliation, a coming together of people who have been estranged because of some act of unkindness. We love our enemies and we forgive in order that that might happen. That there might be reconciliation. Our love towards people who treat us badly, therefore, will be like God's love in that first general sense. That will be the first stage of our love towards our enemies. And we can call this, we can coin a phrase this morning for the want of something better, dispositional forgiveness. In other words, I mean, we'll have a disposition to forgive. We'll have an attitude of willingness to forgive others. We will be eager to forgive. We'll be, we'll be waiting to forgive. It will be on our hearts that if someone uh, is to come and to say to me, look, I'm really sorry for the way that I've been treating you. It's not been right. Will you forgive me? If someone should say that, I will be more than eager to forgive. And I will do that even if he goes back and does the same again and comes back and asks for forgiveness. I'll forgive again. Uh, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 18, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? J 
Jesus says not seven times, but 70 times seven. And Jesus doesn't mean 490 times. He means continually, again and again. So this dispositional forgiveness will be eager to forgive. We'll be like the driver in the car when he's at the traffic lights and the light is at amber. We'll be poised to move in the direction of forgiveness. God is like that. He has a disposition to forgive. That is his attitude towards a rebellious world. Now the problem lies, of course, with someone uh, who is against us and doesn't see a problem in their behavior, who refuses to say sorry, who doesn't come seeking forgiveness, or who, when confronted, refuses to acknowledge that there is any problem. Now if that's the case, it's impossible to move on to the next stage of forgiveness, which involves relational forgiveness. Relational forgiveness, a full forgiveness, where the, the relationship, where the relationship that's been broken is healed, where we become friends again, where we've been enemies. See, it requires forgiveness to be uh, asked for and received before this can happen. And that's how God's love operates. First John 1, verse 9. Famous verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There will be a reconciliation. But notice the first word is if. If we confess our sins. So there's a conditionality on our side. We have to come to God. We have to confess our sins. It's the same with us. As his children, we are to, like God, who is loving and forgiving, we are to have a disposition to forgive. We stand ready and willing to forgive. We are praying for people. We're speaking well of them. We're doing all the things that Jesus asks for. But until there is that meeting of minds about what's happened and forgiveness is asked for and given, there can't be the second stage. Relational forgiveness. Now that's probably, possibly at least, what Paul has in mind when he says... Uh, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. It takes two to tangle. And unless the other person is willing to be reconciled, it may not be possible for that peace to exist. And if the forgiveness goes to the second stage, then we're to put the past offense out of our mind because that's how our Father forgives. He no longer deals with us as though there was any past sin, any misdemeanors in our past. The psalmist asks in Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? And speaking of our love to others, Paul uh, writes in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's beautiful, isn't it? Keeps no record of wrongs. So then, in conclusion, then, our, our adoption as children, our coming into the family of God, our being saved, it has to result in as loving as our Father loves We will have a disposition to forgive. 
We will seek to think well of those who are unkind to us. We'll be open to reconciliation. And we'll be ready to be reconciled to anyone who acknowledges the wrong. And we'll be willing to strike the offence from the record. Now it's because this love, if we are, are eager to show it, reflects our Father. That it's so powerful in human relationships. And it's so effective in melting hearts and in commending the gospel. I know many of us have seen uh, maybe the play or seen the film at least of Les Miserables. And you know the storyline. Jean Valjean is hardened by his 19-year prison sentence for, for stealing bread. Uh, he comes out and he's a terror to others and nobody will take him in except the bishop, the friendly bishop, and uh, he's taken under his roof, but he betrays his trust. And Valjean uh, slips off into the darkness, but is brought back the next morning by three policemen who had arrested him uh, in possession of the silver. He's confronted. Uh, the, the bishop's brought in. All, all the bishop needs to, to do is to say the word of accusation, and he's back in jail. But instead, the bishop says, here you are, I'm so delighted to see you. Had you forgotten, I gave you the candlesticks as well. They're silver like the rest, worth a good 200 francs. Did you forget to take them? Valjean is astonished, flabbergasted at what's going on. Uh, he's released and he's transformed by the act of forgiveness. When the police have gone, the bishop says uh, to his flabbergasted guest, do not forget, don't ever forget that you have promised me to use the money to make yourself an honest man. And Valjean's life is transformed by an act of grace, an act of forgiveness. John says we love because he first loved us. And we're to love with the quality of the love that God has shown. And as people see that distinctive love in Christian lives, as we love our enemies, others will see in his children the love of their father and will be drawn to him. May God bless to us the preaching of his word.